the following announcement has been paid for by Perched on the Top Rope. Hi, this is Steve Kern, and you're watching Perched on the Top Rope. Uh, welcome everyone to Perched on the Top Rope. I am your host, Lee Walker, and as you can see, I am joined by Steve Kern, who you might remember from some memorable gimmicks and uh, one-time WrestleMania 9 as Doink the Clown. Steve, you actually just signed this one Hasbro that is signed by Matt Bourne, Ray Apollo, and now yourself. Uh, have you ever seen an item with almost every Doink that's portrayed him? I haven't. You know, Lee, um, I've seen a lot of them signed, and then most of the time it doesn't have the name. Like Matt, Matt was the original Doink, obviously, and then I was the second one at WrestleMania 9 at Caesars Palace, the first outdoor WrestleMania. So between the two of us, to have us both on there, of course, Matt being passed away, that's this is really a collector's item. Now, um, what do you think the differences in training back then were compared to the differences in training today in professional wrestling? Well, wrestling has evolved into a, almost a different sport. Um, I use a comparable, and not only in my book, because of the 44 years I was in the industry, I use a comparable as when I started in 1972 and I was regionalized territories and we went from areas to areas, <clears throat> we wrestled, <clears throat> excuse me, we wrestled off of emotion emotion by the audience whatever the audience was interested in that's what we played off of now after running fcw and being ahead of the developmental the wrestlers of, of the modern time it's not that it's any you know less or more but it's a different thing if they wrestle off a of memory they memorize their matches and then they just pretty much rehearse their match to the point where when they went out they go they know every move and everything we didn't know that. We went out knowing what we, who was going to win and lose and how long you were going to wrestle. Okay. Um, out of all the personas from, you know, yourself, Skinner, doing all these different areas in wrestling you were, uh, did you have a, a favorite? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no doubt. <clears throat> this guy. And I'll give you a quick reason. This guy <clears throat> was my first opportunity to not be myself. Mm -hmm. This was a character. And when Vince asked me, you know, what I wanted to be, I really didn't have any idea, but I just killed 15 alligators in the first hunt in the state of Florida. So I laid a bunch of alligator stuff on his desk and he said, well, give me a month. And when you come back, we'll come up with a character. Well, when I came back, I'd gone from being him. I mean, this guy, a pretty boy, to now all of a sudden... He says, well, Steve, did you see the movie Deliverance? And I said, yeah, about a thousand times. And he said, I want you to be one of those guys. And I go, oh, you must mean Burt Reynolds, right? And he goes, um, wrong guy. I want you to be one of the two guys in the woods with Ned Beatty that says, hey, boy, you got a right pretty mouth. So it gave me an opportunity when I did interviews and promos and stuff. I was so comfortable because I was no longer worried about everything that came out of my mouth. All of a sudden, I'm talking like a redneck out of the Everglades of Florida. And if I'd get lost, I'd just start laughing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was easier to do because it you had you had no worries about what your memories were going to be because it was a character. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, one thing that came out of that character was Skinner actually got his own WWF Hasbro. What was that like to... Uh, 
you know, you, you've had the, the Remco action figure with AWA. Uh, what was this like to actually get your first character figure? Well, I have to say that I was more impressed with my first one with Remco because it was the very first dolls ever produced. Mm -hmm. And being a little bit younger, too, when I went to Toys R Us in uh, Minnesota where they were producing, working in the AWA, I went into Toys R Us and they had a rack and it was the first action figures for wrestlers. They were all tag teams. And I remember taking the part that had the fabulous ones off and pull them all off and put them in a basket. And I was like a little kid. I walked up to the front and I'm putting them up to the counter and the guy says to me, he goes, oh, you must be a wrestling fan. And then I go, this is me. Where is it? Anyway, what it was, I go, this is me. And he looks at me and he goes, ain't no way. And I'm going, I swear, this is me. I had to pull my driver's license out and prove that it was me. But I was excited. And I mean, you know, I got him out and played with him. I actually bought a Road Warrior set so I could just beat the crap out of the Road Warriors with them and never lost a match in the car, put me on top of the Road Warriors. But I mean, you know, it's like I was closer to being a little kid then too. But at the same time, it was a first. Mm -hmm. It was the first thing. And all I could think about is, you know, someday I'm going to have kids and grandkids and the whole thing. And, you know, how cool is that to say, hey, your dad has an action figure. Top that in your class. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, <clears throat> but um, anytime you get anything made in a likeness and it's carried through time, it's a compliment. And talent should always remember that, that, you know, you're you're complimented by having that and having people want to collect them. Now, uh, one thing I want to talk about, because we're actually sitting right next to him, Fred Ottman. You came up with the uh, B-A-double-B, B-A-double-D character for, for Fred. How did you guys come up with that? With his, uh, oh, what character? Big yeah, Big Steel. Big, yeah. How, did, how did you come up with the character Big Steel? <laughs> Well, <clears throat> that was pretty easy for me because it, you try to think about what what people come to the matches. Who, who are the people that are actually coming and buying tickets? And a construction worker, you know, that's, that's the common job. I mean, you know, and there's more people that are blue-collar workers that are construction guys that are going to come and go, all right, he's one of us. And so I just came up with the idea of putting a hard hat on him, you know, putting a flannel shirt, some jeans, and giving him a big sledgehammer. And he's a monster. I mean, look at him. And so it, he just fit the character. And who in the construction business wouldn't be complimented by a guy representing them than a big guy with muscles and kind of good looking. I mean, he's not as good looking now as he was then. Yeah, he put my picture in the urinals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it just fit the character. And I mean, I thought it was a good idea. Okay, and Fred, Fred how'd you think of the character when, he, when he brought it. it up to you? I loved it. The helmet that I was wearing belonged to the president of the Steelworkers Union in Florida. It was given to me from another friend of mine, took me to his house, and he comes outside, he says, my friend wants to give you this to use for your gimmick. I'm like, holy shit. I come from a blue-collar family. I mean, uh, you know, and this is the deal. Working, I, I've worked from a young age doing all different types of jobs and stuff like that, blue-collar work. Mm -hmm. Okay, and guys go and they work all week with each other. Then they go out drinking on a Friday or a Saturday night, get into fistfights with one another, and they go right back to work on the weekend. So 
when he came up with this idea, I mean, it's the logical, just like he was saying, people relate to people that work hard and kick ass. I mean, that's the two constants in life. You got to make a living and being a uh, kind of representative of that culture, okay, is something everyone can relate to. Remember Dusty Rhodes, son of a plumber. That was his whole deal, you know, back in the day. And the people loved him. Here's this man that could talk on the mic, could uh, do crazy. And then they put me with DDP was my manager and Sir Oliver Humperdinck. They were like dual managers for me. Here's a guy that was a hype man in the club business, DDP, that became, always wanted to be a wrestler, that became one of the top guys in the business as far as drawing money. And then you have Sir Oliver Humperdinck who has managed so many guys that I watched them. I've been a fan since I'm eight years old watching wrestling on TV growing up in Miami. So I'm like, oh my God, this is awesome. Awesome. And Steve, you also have a book that is uh, actually sitting right here. You want to tell fans a little bit about it and tell fans about uh, your pro wrestling tea store? Well, the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I was, I was, I wasn't ever going to write a book because I didn't feel like it was significant in the wrestling world so far as characters and everything like that, but I was almost peer pressured by friends and family saying, you know, you should write a book. You have so many stories. I spent 44 years in this industry, and I, I had the opportunity to start as a ring announcer and picking guys up when I was like 16 years old, and then developed into a time where I got a little bit bigger and a little bit more into the wrestling thing and just ended up wrestling. But what happened was, when you try to condense 44 years down into a book, it's almost impossible. And so I, I talked to the guy that wrote it for me. His name's Ian Douglas. And I, I talked to him as I was dictating. And I said, listen, man, I don't know where to cut off. I don't know where to stop telling the stories because there's so much to tell. And I said, what if we did a two-book version and I'll go to 1987 before I become Skinner and get into WWF and the whole transition of characters changes. And that way people can hear about the old days of the trans, I mean, the... Um, uh, regionalized territory days and you know what we did and how we traveled and you know what our responsibilities were and you know the the stories and from the cars to the arenas to everything like that so when we sat down and after I did it I mean you know I just tried to tell right from the beginning because of my story of my life was important too because I was writing it not only for people that were interested that were friends but for my my children and my grandchildren I've got five grandkids, and someday I'm not going to be around to tell them stories. And I want them to be able to pick up a book and read about their grandpa and read some of the things he did and some of the parts, some of the things that he had fun with and some of the tragedies and things like that so they would know his history. So I started when I was a little kid because it, my life going into wrestling was just as important to me as my life before, I mean, after wrestling because I'm the son of a military guy. 
My dad was um, United States Air Force, and I moved around from bases to bases, and then he became a POW in Vietnam from the time I was 13 to 21. So it's a compelling story of how I got into the industry, but it also gives you a background of who Steve Kern really is and, you know, his background and his life and his upbringing. And I use this with my own grandchildren because it, being in a military family, I was taught simple thing. God, family, and country. That's it. God, family, and country. And we say that we would say the blessing before we'd eat dinner. Um, you know, we always said yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. We always said please, thank you, and all of those things. And sometimes it's hard, and, and I know generations change, but sometimes it's hard to explain to kids why you speak the way you do and why nobody else talks like that anymore. But it is, it's, it's an educational thing for my, my own grandchildren. And then, you know, people that are interested in wrestling history, there's quite a bit of history. The second book will be coming out probably in the fall. And it takes me from 87 through Skinner, then Doink, then an agent behind the scenes with um, WWE, and then the owner of the developmental where I taught and had the part of um, running the farm league for the WWE. And so that brings it up to date to where fans that are watching now that never watched before, they're gonna look at Roman Reigns and go, well, I know where you came from, or I know where Drew McIntyre or Sheamus or Charlotte Flair or any of the talent that you know came through FCW. And so it gives a little history of that too. So it kind of like ties the story all together and hopefully it doesn't get boring anywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And where can fans find the first book? Amazon. You Amazon. Can buy it on Amazon. So it's my first book. I don't I don't really know how to do this. So, you know, it, it's all been made easy. I'm not a writer. I couldn't have ever wrote this, but I can talk a lot. So they I dictated my book and the guy wrote it down and Ian did such a fantastic job with it that he made it into a great story because I actually read the book, my own book. I had to critique it and I had to edit it, make sure there wasn't anything my grandkids couldn't read. <laughs> uh, what was that like being able to go back and read your own story? It was difficult. It's difficult. I'm 71 years old. I mean, you know, so you try to go back to when you're 16, you try to go back to when you're a little kid. I mean, there's pieces that really stand out in your mind but there's a lot of blank spots i mean you know it's just things that came and went and you don't really think about them anymore you haven't reminisced on those and so you really have to use your mind and you have to sit down and you have to focus you know and be prepared you can't just start talking and then just think you're going to cover all the bases you kind of got to make sure you say well I really want to tell them about when I was like six years old and I lived on Okinawa. I really want to tell them about my dad being a POW before me at age 19 and being one of the only two men in history that was a POW in two wars. I really want to tell them a lot of things that, you know, I think are significant. And so it's really difficult to retrace. I mean, the second book is a little easier because it's more, you know, like 20 years before, not 40 years before so it's made it a little bit easier awesome and what's it like for you to see those that were in fcw like the sheamus the roman reigns and everybody else thriving in wwe now well, i'm i'm thrilled to death 
I mean, you know, my objective is, here's the thing for people that don't understand the wrestling industry. When you're a talent, like Fred and I were talents, it doesn't matter. You can be in the same dressing room. You can be the good guy, the baby face, in the same dressing room with the heels and, you know, in the other dressing room. But we're all playing king on the mountain. It's a simple thing. It's king on the mountain. Because even though we're friends and all that, we're all striving for the same spot, the top spot. We're all striving for the main event. We're all striving for the most money. So it's very competitive. When you're an educator and you're passing on your knowledge and your experience and your teaching, you get the satisfaction. You're not competing with your talent. You're pushing your talent. And every time they go up, you're winning for them. And they're winning for you. And so it's exciting for me to see the ones that have done unbelievable. But there's this downside to it also. It's also... Um, very heartbreaking to see the ones that don't make it and some of the ones that you think would have been really good don't get an opportunity and they don't make it and then you know unfortunately for me a lot of them were second generation wrestlers that didn't make it now I've got to listen to their dad talk to me about why didn't my son make it or why didn't my daughter make it and I have to explain that I don't know I don't know what it is Maybe it's somebody doesn't like them. Maybe it's political. Who knows? But when you have to answer the phone late at night and it's somebody you've known since they were a little kid because you wrestle with their dad and they're crying and they're going, Mr. Kern, what do I do now? And I'm going, I don't know. I don't have an answer. So it, it's very emotional for me when I see the, the downside of it. The victory is always nice. But the, the losing side is, is, is really hard. Awesome. Steve, I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. It's uh, been a real honor. Well, thanks, Lee. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, is there anything you'd like to say to the fans before we go? Yes. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to clear my throat. First of all, I'd like to say, for the fans that watch, I'm smart enough to know without fans, there wouldn't be no wrestling business. I appreciate everybody that ever bought a ticket, ever watched the show, ever asked for autograph, or was ever into wrestling. Because it, that's what makes the whole business. It's not the wrestlers, it's the people that come to watch. And I just want to thank each and every one that's ever participated or ever been a fan. Steve, I'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule here with Scott Wilder Promotions. You can find them at facebook.com slash Scott Wilder Promotions. Uh, thank you for taking time out of your day with me today. Thank you for having me on. Thank you.